0: Today's episode deals with a World War II docudrama. If you are uncomfortable hearing about the horrors of war, concentration camps, or the Holocaust, you may want to skip this. How did we miss this? And welcome to How Did We Miss This, a show which explores our gaps in nerd and pop culture. I'm Darwin, and with me as always is Joe. How are you, Joe?
1: I'm doing all right today. Got a little uh, little glass of whiskey with me, so I think we're, we're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, so today, Joe, you're under the spotlight, correct? Whether I like it or not, and let's be honest, I love
0: being in the spotlight. This episode covers Band of Brothers, which is a docudrama of the Stephen Ambrose book with the same name. The miniseries follows Easy Company of the 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment, 101st Airborne Division, from its training in the U.S. all the way to the end of the war in Europe in 1945. So, to answer the question of the series, how did you
1: miss this, Joe? <sighs> That's a good question. I don't know if this has been evident to the viewers at home or not, but I know it's evident to you. I'm not a history guy. Hmm. And it's not a knock against history. It's not like I don't, I I respect that it is interesting to many, many people. You know, World War II in particular, it's, it's, it's extremely fascinating to a lot of people. My wife is like a 75 year old white man. She's just always watching, you know, World War II documentaries. I get it. I get why it's interesting. As far as why I missed it, like, what did this come out? 2001? Somewhere or there, yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was like in eighth grade. I was discovering punk and ska and, you know, listening to bands like Anti-Flag and, you know, what the hell would I want, been watching a dramatization of a World War II paratrooper? You know, it was. it's just not in my wheelhouse. I mean, I understand that you and I like tactical games and all of that, but dramas and docu-series was not really my thing growing up. So because it wasn't in your wheelhouse when you heard about this, you were kind of like, Eh, okay, whatever. Well, what's messed up is like some of my closest friends, uh, you know, uh, one of my mods, for example, Oprah owen really loved it. Hmm. Really loved Band of Brothers, watched the crap out of it as it aired. I think watched it again a number of years later. It just didn't click with me. You know, I will accept completely that there are certain shows, movies, musics, whatever, that despite how good they are, just doesn't jive with me. I love, this is going to be a bombshell. I'm sorry to everybody. And we're probably going to get canceled for this. I really enjoy roguelikes, roguelites as a concept. Hades did not click with me. I accept it's a masterpiece. I accept that it's a genius game and just didn't click with me. I have no idea why. And I find this over and over again, that there's these very ubiquitous things that just don't sync up with me. And this is one of them. It's simple as that. Cool. I mean... Not cool, because I should hate you for not liking this, but... That's not the that's not the only reason you should be hating me. I mean, I've given you reason after reason to hate me.
0: Correct. Absolutely correct. So, top-down view, thumbs up, thumbs down, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty
1: here. Okay. If you had asked me at different points of the series, that answer would change dramatically. Hmm. I would say overall, after having watched all 10 episodes, and for those of you at home who Wanna check this out? It is a 10 episode show. You can catch it on HBO Max. That's where I watched it. Each episode's about an hour. I would say a weak thumbs up. Okay. Not a not a oh my god double thumbs up, you know, grab the beers, but uh it's it's not bad. Okay. Interest high level thumbs up. Okay. Fair enough. So let's get into
0: it. As I recall, you had mentioned you kind of broke things up per episode. So let's kind of work
1: our way down. Yeah, no problem. So that's actually really leads me to explaining myself better. So the question was at a high level, thumbs up or thumbs down. Episode one, from start to finish, I was miserable. I was so miserable. And maybe that's my impatience. Maybe it's how fucking stupid David Schwimmer's character was. <laughs> I don't know. But there was something in episode one that I was just like, oh, my holy God. I've got nine more hours of this bullshit. And I'm not trying to, I feel very weird saying that. I'm not trying to disrespect World War II veterans. America does not do anywhere near enough for its veterans, top to bottom. They've given so much and we do not give them back nearly enough. I am speaking at a governmental level, not to be political here. The vets, and especially World War II and Vietnam vets, they went through some shit. Not to minimize the current vets, but they went through some gosh darn shit. Despite my extreme respect for those elder gentlemen talking at the beginning of the show and how much I really did empathize with them, my grandfather actually was on Anzio Beach, believe it or not. Hmm. The second it got into the docudrama part, I was like, fucking Donnie Wahlberg? Like, I'm fucking out of here. I don't give a shit about you, Donnie Wahlberg. You're not a (laughs) a believable war veteran. You're Donnie Wahlberg. You're dating Jenny McCarthy right now. (laughs) But what I will say that did keep me going, the one thing that really kept me going in my notes, uh, I kind of just a stream of conscious. I'm not going to read them beat by beat, but it's a lot of things like this. Fucking Neil McDonough is in this. I <laughs> am in. Holy shit. Is that a 12 year old Michael Fassbender? This cast is insane. All caps letters. Ron Livingston, exclamation point, exclamation point, question mark. Then my next line, David Schwimmer, fucking Ross. And then I said, Donnie Wahlberg is in this. Fucking Simon Pegg is in this, it's just line after line of just just effusive praise to this cast, because the cast is remarkable. And there's even bit parts we'll get to later that I was like, geez, Louise, this person's in it? Like, it was crazy. It was crazy how many good actors, good actors by today's standards, I, back then, I mean, we're talking 2001, so what is, Jesus, Louise, that's 20 years ago, isn't it? Yep. We are very old. Do you understand how old we are? <sighs> I don't need to be reminded, Joe. Okay, that is just, very old. I think all of my bones. I, I speaking of speed of war movies that Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg worked on. I felt like the end of Matt Damon at uh in Saving Private Ryan. I just yes. got old instantaneously. Yes. Which and is an interesting note that I learned is that this was basically the same thing as that Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg were producers on both of them. Correct. That I was did actually not know
0: that. I'm I'm glad that you managed to
1: discover that on your own because I was definitely going to drop that bomb on you. Mm -hmm. So a couple other good things that kept me going through episode one. It looked pretty good. Like it was very clearly an older show. There was some of that film grain and all of that, but it was filmed well. And I thought that it looked real. Like it didn't have too much of that overly dramatic Hollywood nonsense that we sometimes get in movies, right? I felt like I was really one of the soldiers Watching these folks practice in England, storm the beaches, paratroop—all of the not hold on yours. So I will give it that much. It, it looked terrific, even by today's standards. Mm-hmm. But episode one really just pissed me off. How much of David Schwimmer's character was just a colossal asshole? And I yes. understand that's the point. But oh boy, it was like it was it was Michael Scott level. It was really tough to get through. Wow.
0: As someone who's not watched The Office. And, uh, I also I, have not watched The Office. Yes. so, uh, so maybe
1: that's an episode of the show later on. We'll see. Very
0: well might be. As someone who's not a big fan of that sort of awkward situation, I didn't really pull that from my viewings. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because- For those who don't know, I'm also ex-military. I'm a veteran myself, and I can appreciate that portrayal. I, too, had a hard time because I'm looking at like, Ross is yelling, and this feels very weird to me, so I'm not a fan. He was not on a break. No. he. (laughs) So I can appreciate how you're watching the character that he's portraying, Captain Sobel, just like, this guy. Fucking sucks. I also didn't believe him as a drill sergeant type. Right. It's tough because, again, you're looking at Ross. Like, yeah. this is not the guy who should be.
1: You should be the, the museum curator of the Museum of Natural History.
0: Right. And so, to that effect, that was an interesting casting choice. And I can see how it could take some people out of
1: it. Not to flash forward too far, but there was a couple of what I will describe as stunt casting, right? <laughs> Fucking okay. Jimmy Fallon shows up in like, what is that? Episode seven or some shit as like a supply commander or something. Uh-huh. It was like, I literally, again, in my notes, caps, letters, <laughs> Jimmy, goddamn Fallon. <laughs> what the hell is happening?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the shocker.
1: Less yeah. of a shocker.
0: He did a fine job. Yes. You know, not amazing, but fine. For the bit role that he had, he did well. Mm hmm. But I agree that knowing David Schwimmer and the arc that his character has throughout the miniseries was
1: kind of strange. I appreciate that. Also, going back to what I said before, Simon Pegg is in this show. They regularly work with the British military, which is historically accurate. I understand mm-hmm. Simon Play- Pegg. Simon Pegg is playing an American soldier. Why didn't they just fucking put him with the Brits? Great question. But also think about this, Damian Lewis. Also British actor. And Michael Fassbender, isn't he? I think so. All I hear is just Magneto. <laughs> so like, I don't know if he's actually British or if he just affected <laughs> it for Magneto, but I think right. he's British. Yeah, I think I think you're
0: right there. So yeah, there was a large British representation portraying as Americans.
1: Yes. And that was- Well, I think, again, what is it? Episode three, episode four, something like that? Doesn't Professor Xavier show up? I think uh, so. Uh, uh, McAvoy himself? Yes. Yes, he does. And, like, dies immediately, basically. <laughs> Surprise! So just to really reiterate my point of something that really kept me going, is just this cast was so good, and the chemistry between them I thought was very real. Very believable. I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Winters, mm-hmm. uh, he yeah. went on- Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis. Thank you. Yeah, he was also in um, Billions, wasn't he? Isn't he like the- Correct. Hedge fund manager in that or whatever? Mm-hmm. Terrific actor. And he was my personal favorite character because I think he did such an excellent job of portraying the burden of leading well, combined with being traumatized. This is still a time when we thought shell shock was a thing. Right. And I think that he did a really good job of balancing the complexities that you feel in a, in war. I mean, obviously I have no personal reference there, but I can at least respect the notion that bonds in some cases very literally forged in fire can feel extremely intimate, close and brotherly. And, and in fact, could make you very happy despite absolute nightmarish hell around you. And I was very impressed with how. Well, that was portrayed both from a directorial cinematography standpoint, but also from an acting standpoint. And part of that, actually,
0: I'm not sure if you managed to get into the the, the liner notes on this effect, but um, all of the actors actually went through BASIC, essentially. Really? I did not Uh, know that. Yeah, a a form of BASIC, obviously accelerated for actors, but much in the same way that Saving Private Ryan, as as an interesting footnote, all the Saving Private Ryan actors were in boot camp except for Matt Damon to help fuel the ire of like we trudged through all this bullshit to find your dumbass. The Band of Brothers it was different. Everybody went through. I forget how long it was, but it was long enough. Like the kind of long nights. They did marches. They assaulted a town actually. Oh wow! Uh, for practice. So to an extent, they were able to sort of experience
1: what it was like being in a company. That's pretty cool. While I didn't know that, looking back in hindsight, that adds up to me. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So kind of flowing through the show a little bit more. One thing I really liked, this is going to be a bit of a a bit of a spoiler. So if you are going to go back and watch it, skip ahead like a minute or so. I really liked the interviews with the old guys in the beginning of the show. It was a little bit of a giveaway that they were going to be veterans, that they were at least in some way connected to Easy Company. But the reveal in the last episode of like who each one of them truly was, I really liked that. I got very emotional listening to their stories. The last two episodes while they talked, I I genuinely did cry listening to them talk because as I said, like my grandpa was a World War II vet, did not like talking about it at all, was one of the kindest, softest, most peaceful, peaceful men I've ever known. So I got very emotional thinking about the pluses and the negatives of what what these gentlemen had gone through. And I really loved that. I think that it helped punctuate everything you're seeing as not just some drama action drama show, but it's like, no, no, no. Like maybe not exactly the way you're about to watch it, but this shit went down. Like this shit went down. Yeah, And I think that they really did a a good, uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for here. Um, A service homage. Yeah. I felt all of the respect that was being paid to both the men and the events. I agree. Which was something I believe some movies can miss, but clearly this one did not. I I have a couple other kind of funny notes. These poor horses getting gunned down under the bridge. Oh yeah. That was a rough scene. I did not like seeing a lot of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, uh, actually here's one, uh, you know, we talked about having some questions for you because you're much more of a historical buff than I am. Yeah. At one point in episode two, they march into a town and someone has a bunch of German soldiers captured. And Malarkey is shit-talking them. It turns out one of them is a United States citizen. But he claims that his parents were Germanic or German German immigrants or whatever. Yeah. So they went back and he enlisted.
0: Did that really happen? So I never did any full research myself into it, but I'm going off the presumption that that did happen. Uh, because I know there have been certain instances, not necessarily of what that character says is uh, Volksdeutsche, which is yeah. you know the return of the Aryans to their true homeland to defend it. I don't know if that actually happened, but I know there were definitely instances of Americans deporting known German citizens back to Germany. So hmm. if it didn't happen in Volksdeutsche, I'm sure it happened in a
1: different direction. I mean that that felt too real to be completely made up. So I imagine that did. Quick look at uh quick look up the at the Google says that Volksdeutsche
0: is well, was a thing. That's and crazy. Yeah. That's such a weird and thought too, because I remember watching that and just thinking to myself, holy crap, that's
1: The make of Ireland went to war with the rest of the planet, and my dad was like Guess what, Joey? You're going back to the motherland to fight for it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, 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 not ready to fight for a slice of pizza.
0: What are you talking about? <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's such a weird concept as a whole, and yet, I guess you know, in that age of nationalism, I can kind of appreciate it. I guess, but
1: you, yeah. you poor, sweet, naive bastard, saying that age of nationalism, like we don't have a whole new problem with it in the world today. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But this is not that kind of podcast. Yes. So I did actually write a note here after episode two that says really good post battle scene, which was, a- I'm sorry. So taking a couple steps back, this was the episode where they sent the 12 guys to go take out the machine gun battery. Yes. And I wrote sending 12 guys to take out a machine gun battery, dot, dot, dot. Yikes. Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how else to respond to that. Yeah, that's, that actually did
0: happen. That was true. And the the footnote in that episode, while I haven't confirmed, I imagine was true in the sense that that is now like a textbook maneuver for assaulting mm-hmm. fixed positions. And it made perfect sense. Like, I don't know about you, but like from a military standpoint, it made perfect sense. They laid a base of fire upon which other units could maneuver and outflank the enemy and then continue to press on the length of the battery. And despite being wildly outnumbered because of- Proper execution of tactics, they managed to secure that objective with, granted, just Popeye's ass being blown off.
1: Sure. <laughs> Popeye's ass did get blown off. Yes. I also have a note here. Really good post-battle scene. I'm warming up to this show. Hmm. So I think that once it really, for lack of a better term, got into the shit of it all, the show really turned around for me a little bit. There's other parts in the show that kind of went back down for me in some regards. But overall, this is when the show started winning me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This leads us into episode three, which is more about we've been at this for a while. We've done a couple of things. I think that this is probably the first episode that really started branching out and being a little more artistic in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, It follows a lot of this soldier named Blythe, and it shows his personal struggles and kind of uses the war as a backdrop. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way. I thought that there was a lot of really interesting directorial choices here. My biggest note is three separate lines, all bold all caps lock a man got run over by a tank
0: <laughs> there is just a
1: scene yes. where they are running away from a tank a man trips and it shows the tank running over a man and exploding his head yes
0: that was incredible directorial choice i cannot confirm that that actually happened no i'm not sure anybody would have like witnessed that i think good good effects the- though good good effects oh Oh, yeah. And, you know, you could spend a whole episode breaking that down on some podcasts. Like, here's how that went down. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, that was a pretty interesting scene. To have that choice of just like, all right, we know that part of this is war is hell.
1: So wouldn't it be wild if? Yeah, seriously. And and everybody was like, all right, I'm on board. Yeah, that was was someone pulling in a bottle of Jack Daniels and being like, I got a fucking scene for you. A man gets run over (laughs) by a tank. And people are just like... Yes, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Genius. You've got to do it. Fund, it. Fund, fund it. Fund it. <laughs> so the other thing I'll say about the whole Blythe storyline is that. I thought they did a pretty interesting job, intentional or otherwise, of having the last episode, the one where they stormed the position, really showing Winters as becoming this leader and becoming this tactician, right? And I felt a lot like this episode very clearly juxtaposed him and mirrored him against David Schrummer's character in episode one, whereas David Schumer's character was indecisive and kind of an asshole, unwilling to admit that he's wrong, unwilling to ask for his men's help. Unwilling to question himself This episode instead has Winters coming to Blythe A man who's not even in his company if I'm not mistaken I think they like he recover is, him I, think. I don't know how company and troop and all of that work But I know that he wasn't directly under Winters at first That they like found him Sure. And to have Winters go to him and just be like I actually compared it to the scene in Metal Gear Solid When Meryl, spoiler alert for a 25 year old game or whatever it is <laughs> Meryl kills her first person and Solid Snake is like, unfortunately, killing is one of those things that gets easier every time you do it, you know, and he kind of, he kind of Mm -hmm. shows her the shit like, look, this is real, but almost in a comforting, like, I hear you kind of way. And I thought Winters did something very similar for Blige. And I thought that that was a really interesting directorial choice to parallel those two different kinds of leaders. I think even one of the old men at one point said something about, well, you know, we really respected winters. I- I've had a lot of good leaders. Well, not all of them are good. It's like, yeah, that's going right. to happen. But it's like any bosses we've ever had. Not all right. of them are and good. That was, I think that was the key is that the first
0: episode needed to establish that Sobel was going to be a shitty commander in combat. I think there's a time for a boot camp type commander, you know, instilling stress and making your life miserable. Because in the absence of actual gunfire and the risk of your life, you need some kind of stress to get you through so that you have the like, I know what it's like to feel under pressure and have a shitty time, but not actually dying because like, you can't kill your trainees. That's sure. not good business. So, you know, there's value there. I think you're right that the three episodes were meant to sort of foil Winters yes. and just like- Winters is a man who understood his role as a combat commander and a tactician in the moment and proper execution of what he's learned. Yes, I could see how on some level, the first episode might have dragged. Yes. And I think that was probably the problem for you was that just like, okay, we get it. Sobel's an asshole. He's a shitty commander. Cool. Can we get to the part where we start talking about what's going down? I don't know if the the mutiny stood out to you in episode one then. I thought that didn't happen until like
1: episode four. No, there was, that a was episode in one in episode. Oh, there was episode four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When they were all like, we're all gonna resign or, or transfer companies or whatever. Yes, I did take note yeah, of that. Yeah, all the NCOs who would be
0: taking orders from Sobel and then giving that to their subordinates, they were just like, No, we're not gonna do this. This man is not fit for combat, and no. And mm. yeah, Fuck this that shit I'm out. I'm- <laughs> Pretty much. That's literally probably what they could have written down on those pieces of paper in that barn. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right in that episode one really paved the way to show how good of a leader Winters is. Yes. I will say that much. Footnote, it turns out Blythe didn't die. IRL? Yeah, he survived.
1: Interesting. And there was
0: actually a big movement later on. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Blythe didn't die during World War II. He like he made it. He made it out and, you know, retired, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Oh, because I do have giant caps lock. No, blind guy, no.
0: <laughs> I have a bunch of those. Yeah. Is he really sure. turned around? Yeah. I think that is an interesting choice. It was a, it was a good choice directorially, but I'm surprised that there wasn't enough fact checking to be like, oh, wait, he survived. Now, granted, 1945, everything's in papers. And I do recall that there was a big fire with some record keeping group hmm. in the military. I don't exactly know where. I know it happened in Missouri. I don't know if maybe his was lost. And they're just like,
1: live who? Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time we've lost something like that. Yeah, truth. All right. So with that in mind, with that, episode four. With that in mind, not to make this some kind of a Band of Brothers rewatch podcast here, but- <laughs> I will say just the theme going forward from here is definitely an upswing for me. I started to enjoy it more from this point forward. You know, for example, I have this cast is bananas. Is this James motherfucking uh, McAvoy, Xavier himself? (laughs) That's one of the notes I took. And then I wrote, Um, oh God, Dave fucking Schwimmer's back. Why? What's this asshole up to? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, he's a supply officer and it's not that big of a deal anymore. I think there was a lot of subtlety to this concept that I missed completely. Sure. You know, so for example, I said, so he's a supply officer now. Is that bad? Like, is that an insult to Schwimmer in some way? I don't know how any of this works.
0: Okay. In that scene, there is a, you're right. There is a lovely nuance that people who don't necessarily understand military rank structure or whatever- will miss. I'm guessing you don't necessarily know the difference between a major and a captain. Oh God, no. No, no, no. I, okay. I have no so concept of rank. That is probably why it's a little bit lost. So in episode one, we saw that Sobel was removed from command and he was no longer the company commander. He stayed as a captain. And according to the book, he, I think they even mentioned it, like he's going to train chaplains and non-combat officers how to jump. Okay. Eventually he becomes a supply officer who's in the back line, he doesn't get the glory he's after, and he's still a captain. Now, Winters from episode one was just a second lieutenant. By virtue of him taking over and doing so well, he goes from second lieutenant to first lieutenant to captain and then to major. So in the span of time that Winters has become a majors, Sobel has remained a captain all this time. Sobel just nods to Winters, but in military tradition, the junior officer by rank, not by time, not by experience, the junior officer by rank salutes the superior officer. And that's why Winters is like, Captain Sobel, you salute the rank, not the man. That's why Sobel begrudgingly gives him a salute. And Winters does that.
1: Okay, so I actually have a couple notes on direction here. So in episode two, which is when the actual jump of D-Day happens, mm-hmm. I thought the first person jump, like the jump scene in general, was beautifully shot. Really conveyed the terror. Really conveyed the chaos. I think that it was very well scored. The music mm-hmm. choices, the sound choices, all of that was excellent. There was a first person jump scene that was very disorienting, obviously on purpose. You know what yes. I mean? It wasn't just like some campy thing they did Uh Uh however this episode really hammered it home for me that in my opinion there is an old school way to shoot certain shots which is the long pause on people's faces and we're gonna take a long Mm. pause on Donnie Wahlberg, and then we're gonna take a long pause on malarkey and then we're gonna take a long pause on winters and it's like i know what you're trying to do let's move it the fuck along I think it can be an effective tool and I think the show leaned on it way too much. It made me very frustrated hmm. from episode one all the way to episode 10. A lot of that sort of centered on winters and then the camera slowly pans to the right just a couple inches and then we cut to the next person's reaction. When you tell me that after I've been exhausted for three months and I have to redeploy, you don't have to convince me that everyone's upset I know everyone's upset. It's very clear. You know, show me one person, let's move on. And maybe this is just stylistically, that's why I don't like docudramas, right? Maybe this is on me. I don't want to necessarily blame the show for this. But that happened a lot in episode four. And I think again, in episode like six or seven. And I'm just like, holy fuck, can we just move it along? It's been very clear how absolutely miserable (laughs) everyone is. They should not be. This sucks. Within the
0: military, there's always the joke of hurry up and wait. And yeah. I don't know if that was an intentional directorial choice, but I'm viewing it from the interpretation of just like, yeah, we fucking get it. We're all stuck here in this terrible shithole. Everybody's feeling it. We're all yeah. in the suck. And I think maybe that was, I don't know, but if that was the conveyance that you received, it's good, but I can appreciate it how you're feeling like it's overstaying its welcome. Like yes, I get it. For sure. Everybody's miserable.
1: Can we get to the next plot? Exactly right. You know, or, or give me a group shot. You know, pin mm. across four of their faces in a third of the amount of time. It'll have the same effect. Mm. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm no director of cinematography here, <laughs> but just from a viewer perspective, I thought that the over dramatization was a little hammy at certain points. Okay. Yeah, I so, can see that. then they, uh, they, oh, yeah, I loved the whole sequence of events when they went into Holland and the town was basically yeah. just empty. Like, apparently the Nazis had already left. Yeah. And then they show up and the Dutch. Is that the people who, who lives in Holland? Yes, is it the, the Dutch. Dutch. The okay. Dutch. Uh, uh, this is not my own personal opinion, but I am reminded of Austin Powers' gold member. <laughs> There's only two things I don't like. People who are tolerant of other people's culture and the Dutch. <laughs> um, so anyways, that scene with the Dutch I thought was very interesting. I really enjoyed that whole sequence of events because it really took you through a roller coaster. What the hell is happening? I'm scared. Why is everything empty? All of a sudden everyone's partying. I constantly was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was constantly waiting for a bomb to literally fall, or these are secretly Nazis, or something mm-hmm. like that. But you know, spoiler alert, guess what? You probably should have watched this before listening to this episode. You know, eventually it is good overall that the the Dutch were happy. I thought it was very cool to see them link up with the Dutch counterintelligence or or specifically, I guess, the Dutch revolutionaries were, were resistance. Rebel resistance thank you that's what i'm looking for thank you i thought that was really cool i I thought that they did that very well top to bottom sort of conveying the unease of approaching this town and then the just sharp change of holy shit the americans are here i'm so happy and how disorienting that must have been and there's some people taking advantage of it and making out with a bunch of pretty dutch ladies i get it but dude you're still in war you know what i mean it was very well shot there and then all of a sudden i just wrote what the fuck is happening as they just grab women and shave their heads. I literally didn't know it was happening, but I thought that was good because I imagine that's how the American soldiers felt. And then the Dutch resistance guy's like, oh, they were basically the ones fucking the Nazis, literally. I thought that was cool. And then sure enough, 20 minutes later, they leave the town and one of those women has a baby. And Winters is so clearly like, well, fuck. That baby doesn't necessarily need to be ostracized from the town. Like, what the fuck do we do now? But he can't do anything. He's got a mission. And I thought that reality of war, we think of collateral damage in very literal terms, but the sort of societal emotional collateral damage I thought was portrayed quite well in the show. Agreed. One, of, You know, you mentioned earlier in this episode, hurry up and wait. By the end of episode four, beginning of episode five, and it happens a few times, there is a bunch of sequences where the guys just kept going up the chain of command. So what's happening? What's happening next? Where are we going? What's up? What's next? And fucking nobody knows. And of course nobody knows because it's war and there's no internet in 1945, <laughs> right, <laughs> 42 right. or 42, whatever year it was. There's a lot of, well, we have to very carefully consider what we're going to do next and how we're going to move very literally hundreds of men and hundreds of tanks and all of that. So I get it. But I think that we too often play Call of Duty or watch action movies where it's, come on, just the beach. Ah, rah, 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 but you forget that there's all of these logistical nightmares we have to go through. And I thought that was a really interesting point to showcase. And they showcased it well. This is one of those instances where I don't think it overstayed its welcome. I think they did a really good job yeah, there. As someone in
0: the military, the frustration that is felt getting logistics to work, even in modern times. I cannot imagine the amount of planning and time and maneuvering it took just to get pieces of the puzzle in place, let alone to the fight, but just like staging areas and ammo dumps and all of that coordinating that had to be done in relative confidentiality for security reasons, obviously. It truly is a marvel if you think about D-Day as a whole. By the end of day one, 500,000 people went across the English channel and kept coming. Like it wasn't just like, okay, we're done here at the 500. No, no, there's more people coming. Here's more supplies. Here's more bullets and beans and gas. And it just kept coming. And when that gets to that point, Especially around that time for a historical context, there was this whole debate, if we can take the Netherlands, if we can take the ports of Antwerp and all those, we now have a more permanent and larger logistical port from which to move stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that was the goal. It's just like, okay, we got to take it. We got to take it. We got to take it. And then boom, they hit this wall of German resistance and they're like, oh, uh... <laughs> That's really funny. And so I think that's where you see this sort of, okay, so what's the plan now? Our initial thrust and our goal to take all this has gone to shit. What's the play? What's the plan? How do we solve this problem? I think that's where you find a lot of the lower levels are just like, oh, tell us what to do. Because at that point, you're thinking on a strategic level. Like, at a lower level, everyone knows how to attack a position, how to outflank, etc., etc. But like, Where do we outflank? This is my rifle,
1: this is my gun, this is for fighting, and this is for fun. And that's really all they need to know. Right. I think it's an interesting point that you bring up of just like... The unknowingness of war, the not knowing of war, Mm -hmm. is the note specifically in how I wrote it Mm -hmm. out that Mm -hmm. I thought was very well portrayed. And the other thing is that one could argue starting with episode four, but at least I noticed it starting episode five. Episodes started really having a central theme... They were exploring. Perhaps four could be included from, as I just said, the sort of not knowing, right? The not Mm -hmm. knowing of what they were going to find in that town, the not knowing of how the people were going to respond. Fine. We could argue that's there. But I really noticed starting in episode five. In fact, one of my earliest notes is, so this is about leadership this time. That's cool. Because all of the vets in the beginning were talking about this leader, that leader, good leaders, bad leaders. They were talking about it, and it really set the stage. And then this whole episode is very much about Winters, who is already a pretty good leader, truly coming into his own and making the tough decisions and sacrificing to become better and do better for his Mm -hmm. men. And something else I noticed starting in episode five is that the directorial choices starting becoming a little bit more bold, a little bit more, not aggressive, but perhaps experimental in their route. The show stopped being so samey. So for example, in episode five, they pull a Tarantino. They show a scene where Winters is standing on a mound, turns left, sees a German soldier stand up and shoots him and looks horrified that he had to do it. And you're like- what the fuck is happening? And they don't And they walk it back. And And then they walk it back. And they're like, well, here's how we got to this point. Very Tarantino-like, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it goes on and it shows you about the choices he's making and how he's leading his men and what the men are doing to get better and do better and yada, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. One of the notes I wrote is, at one point Winters is on a radio. He's got to call back to base for something. And I wrote, Winters is on the radio and man, I just never understand this military radio jargon bullshit. (laughs) Like, again, I understand it has meaning, but as a viewer, I never have any fucking like yeah, we got to do Valerian right, the point that's whiskey tango Charlie, and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened? Like, what are you saying? And then all of a sudden, bombs start dropping, and I go, oh, it was a bomb in command. Cool. And then he's like, they're German bombs. I'm like, so what did you say on the radio? Like, what is <laughs> happening?
0: So, um, do you do you recall exactly what they said?
1: Oh God, no. Uh, it okay. went in one ear. It went, went in one ear. Was processed as just. White noise mm-hmm, and then just mm-hmm. came out the other ear. I right, had no, yeah, like, I understood that he was giving commands mm-hmm. to, like, probably artillery, right? It made sense to me that he was, like, whether it was tanks or artillery or a bombing run for planes or something, I at least got the gist of he was letting them know that we needed more firepower here. Right. But what he was saying was absolute fucking nonsense. Made zero sense. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. You know, so then all of a sudden we flash back to this scene, right? All of a sudden we see, oh, here's how we got to the scene. Here's why that German soldier was standing up. And they're basically just mowing down those German soldiers on the mound as they run away and all of mm-hmm. that and something that kind of funny that kept coming up which we'll get to later on because it becomes more prevalent but I guess I never put two and two together that these soldiers were like basically just stealing whatever they could find there was a lot of foraging a lot of foraging a lot of like oh my little brother my little brother wants a Luga I'm gonna go get him a Luga (laughs) you know what I mean like it's a lot of crazy shit like that Uh, it obviously gets stronger and and crazier as the episodes go on but you know of course it makes sense oh and then one of my notes in this episode is is this Jimmy fucking Fallon (laughs) because you know I think they this is the episode that leads into them going into the woods right yes, going into bestone yeah yep. you know not not a lot of extra notes i have for this episode but i believe this is one where they force winters to go on a little break to paris or whatever and he's like on the train and he's having flashbacks and it was just really cool to show yeah exactly i thought that was really cool to show that even your leaders have this same problem you know winters is, is certainly not a sociopath He can just put all of this out of his right, mind. Right, right, right. So they did a really nice job there. Then we, um, you know, he is not staring at the camera. Uh, oh, is this should be fucking Fallon. How is he not staring at the camera and laughing at all, at the whole time <laughs> is what I wrote. And then at the end of that episode, there was a line that I think Winters might've said. He goes, we're trapped paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. Yes. I was like- the fucking balls on this man. The <laughs> balls on this man could take down a skyscraper. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. That's exactly what they did on
0: June 6th when yeah. they jumped. They like, yeah, we're dropping into completely enemy owned territory and we're going to raise hell in the hopes that the rest of the army is going to arrive and relieve us. Because uh, if not, wow, are we screwed? Yeah. Well, he's not wrong. He's just a madman. <laughs> It is it is such a fantastic quote, if you think about it, because... I so wrote for, it down, for goodness yeah, sake. For for historical context, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Battle of the Bulge. I am not. Following the failed attempt to take uh, Antwerp and, and Nijmegen and all that, which, my God, I'm very upset that I forget... Oh my gosh, I can't wait to be tweeted and emailed about like it was this operation you fool.
1: Yeah, there's um, there's a I I look to you as my military nerd to tell me what I don't know, which is quite a bit, and there's yeah. going to be some other bigger military nerd just screaming at his headphones right oh, now. Oh yeah,
0: he definitely is, and I'm sorry to that person, he I or understand. she or they, let's be yes, very clear. If uh if they feel free to rage at me, absolutely do so. But following what happened in the Netherlands and the fact that they didn't quite secure it, they did continue to just push eastward. It was during this time that the Germans prepared for one big all-out assault in the hopes that they would snap the front and create an opening for them to sort of delay the Allied push. That's where Easy Company and the 101st are being sent. We hear that there's like additional fighting in this area, so we should shore that up. The assumption was that they were holding the line. They were not expecting to be encircled. Mm. But as you mentioned, Jimmy Falcon's character is like, yeah, I think there's a good chance you're gonna be surrounded by the end of the night. And Winter's just like, we're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. Yep. It's just such it, it's such a it is such a fine line between bravado and reality. The under, yeah, the <laughs> understanding of his of his situation as a paratrooper.
1: Yes. It yeah, was a great line. Us. Next episode introduces us to Lieutenant Dyke, mm-hmm. who is the absolute buffoon writing Easy Company or whatever. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. write, so they're in the woods, no food, no medical supplies. This is fucking, this fucking sucks. And then I wrote, medics are fucking ballsy. because they are. Yeah. And then they the are. next line is, so Lieutenant Dyke is a fucking idiot and it seems he doesn't know his shit from his dick. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to convey how
0: stupid stupid this person was they did a very fantastic job of explaining like here is this guy who is clearly on the fast track brass figured or somebody up the line was just like you know what he's got a good pedigree he's gonna be a fantastic staff officer but we need to get him some combat experience oh let's just throw him in with easy company not understanding that easy company is uh in the shit
1: yeah needs a good leader a good combat leader yes you know, and eventually does get exactly one. one question I did have for you: What kind of training, and maybe this has changed since World War II? What kind of training do field medics get? Like I was asking, could they go home and just be a nurse or a doctor? Or they are, as I understand it, and I'm sure
0: people are going to be able to correct me, but as I understand it, and,
1: and let's also be clear, it could be different army to or air force to navy. Or, you know, it could be different. Yeah, and i I can't speak to
0: much of the medic corps. Because the closest thing the Air Force has to medics are pararescue jumpers, and pararescue jumpers are a whole different level of
1: insane. Because yeah, that's actually what my dad trained to be in Vietnam. Jeez, yeah, so- that should not surprise you. You've met my dad, correct? He's a lunatic. Yes,
0: the whole concept of pararescue jumpers is: oh no, a pilot has crashed behind enemy lines. We're going to send in
1: some very, very well trained troops to go get him from hell. I like the idea. I know this is not real, but my headcanon is that they trebuchet them in. <laughs> <laughs> they just fucking just, catapult them across enemy lines.
0: I will guarantee you, if a pararescue jumper was told that's the only way we can get you in, they will say, time and place.
1: <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's great. make
0: this happen. Their, yeah. their motto is that others may live. So if sure. that gives you any sort of context to the level of insanity they're willing to endure... To rescue sure.
1: someone, but these field medics, you know, they they're dressing wounds. They have some level of understanding of medicine. What what would their their civilian training equate Probably to? Probably a paramedic,
0: because my understanding actually is that paramedics were born from combat medics. Oh, okay. because I so can see that. for I'll try and be as brief as possible here. But <laughs> I was an EMT. EMTs have a lower level of care that they can provide professionally without being put on the stand. I'll put it to you that way. Paramedics, on the other hand, they can insert IVs, intubate, which is like put in a medical metal tube to keep your airway open so that you can breathe. They can do a lot more. They can push drugs. There are EMTs now that can. My training did not allow me to do that. So to that end, field medics are likely the progenitors of the paramedic field that we know today.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the one guy missing his boots. Mm-hmm. I was so upset. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't like when my tootsies are cold, and you're fending off thousands of Nazi troops into the snow in the forest. Yes. That's. Oh, and the one guy has like a UTI or an STD. He's like, it burns every I piss and he here. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly
0: what you want to deal with, being surrounded by the enemy, and you can't just go to a field hospital like, hey, I need a little penicillin to, to clear yeah, this seriously. up. That's That's not an
1: option. But one thing this episode does that I brought up for the for the previous episode of the of Bennett Brothers was another perspective, right? Mm. This really focuses on what's the guy's name? the The French medic, the uh, Louisiana medic, Rambo or whatever his name Rambo. is, <laughs> Eugene Rowe. Eugene Rowe. There you go. It was just interesting to see. Hey, look, here's another POV. It's the medic and the shit that they deal with, which one could make a strong argument. They see the worst of it. I'm not trying to disparage what combat people see, but they clean up after what the combat people see. So holy smokes. I would argue they clean up during. Yes, that is far more of a correct sentence. You're right. It was another one of those really interesting episodes, really put my stomach into a lot of knots thinking about all of that. At one point, I think I wrote something about, oh yeah, I just wrote, Jesus Christ, this fucking medic. Jesus Christ, this fucking medic. I feel so bad for him. Jesus Christ, these guys. Oh yeah, at one point he goes to the basement of the church and I wrote, Jesus Christ, these guys have fucking gaping holes in their chest because they couldn't get back to the field hospital. Mm. I must have wrote, Jesus Christ... Some terrible thing (laughs) about 15 times in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. Oh, Jesus. This one guy basically has straight up frostbite on his foot. That's fucking horrible. There was two things that happened here in this episode that I didn't care for. So there was a drop scene that happens in this episode. They're trying to drop supplies down and the special effects were very bad. It was the first time watching this when I was like, oh, right. This came out in 2001. Mm -hmm. It, it was Polar Express levels of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I do recall that scene where it just like it, it felt very not edited, designed, executed very well. And you're just like, that's clearly CG. What what are you doing?
1: So in this episode, we also see the Louisiana Cajun medic. He kind of starts developing feelings for this, this pretty French nurse. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where he shows up. He asks for some bandages and some morphine and all of that, right? Something happens where he says something to her. And I said, Wait, is he mad at this French nurse? Oh, okay, no, sorry. That was a weird scene. And then I wrote, Maybe I'm a fucking robot or something, but sometimes I don't understand people's looks at each other. <laughs> so they like, they exchange this glance. And I'm like, Is he mad at her? Like, shortly thereafter, it's pretty clear, like, no, he's developing feelings for her and she respects him. And so it became clear later. But there was definitely a couple scenes. And it goes back to what I said before, of these long, slow shots of just looking at people's faces. I get you. Where I feel like maybe I was just burned out at staring at people's faces. You know what I mean? Like The other thing, too, is there are a lot of faces to stare at in this miniseries. series. There was a, that was one of my first notes in the first episode was, I don't know who any of these people are. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. Because there was just so many people. Yep. It was worse than Game of Thrones. Yeah, it definitely
0: was. And at least there were more reiterating points to like reinforce, oh, yes, that's right. This person does this. This person does that. With such an ensemble cast, when you're trying to portray a company of like 25 to 50 people, you can't cover 50
1: people effectively, mm-hmm. visually speaking. This episode was pretty crazy because it goes on to the commander coming in and giving the Merry Christmas Speech, thing. Yes. Yeah, who uh, who is that from? It was from uh, Patton. No, right? it or was uh, McCulloch. President? No, no, it was McCulloch. Okay. Are we thinking about the right one? It was the colonel or whatever, the guy with the sweet mustache comes in and goes, I got a message here from, and I think it was the president or some shit. He had a message from someone that was like more or less an attaboy.
0: Oh, oh I'm thinking of a different speech. I'm sorry. I think you are. Yeah. He has yes. a message
1: from someone else while there's pole up in the woods. And it's more or less an attaboy speech. It's very much like, attaboy, go get him. Merry Christmas. And I wrote, yeah. I wrote, what a profoundly dumb message to the troops. Merry Christmas. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, and then I also wrote, I want these morphine shots. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't blame you. The concept of just like this quick little
1: Yeah. And go, I mean obviously I'm being and very nice very I'm joking here. Morphine is an extraordinarily dangerous prescription medication. Be very mm-hmm, careful mm-hmm. if your doctor prescribes that to you. But it was just yes. crazy, like it was like lip it was it was a it was a lip oh, gloss. Yeah, it was, it like- was <laughs> a chapstick of morphine. It was crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was like a super glue roll up yeah. with a needle and you just stabbed it in, squeezed it, in, and, and they gave him out like aspirin. Yeah,
1: there was a lot of him in that show. There yeah. was just
0: so many hey, they spreads. shoot like
1: three shots in his one leg at one point. I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're either going to die and or feel really great as you do. So, as we go through the series, the next episode still has them in the woods, still defending. They mm-hmm. pull up and all of that. I have a lot of pretty funny notes. This was a really good example of what you said before of hurry up and wait. It was a lot of bunch of people died. Now we got to wait. Bunch of people died. Now we got to wait. Bunch more people died. Now we got to wait. Yeah. Not trying to minimize the people that did die, but it was certainly an episode of waiting. Mm-hmm. I wrote. I was laughing my ass off that the guy found his Luger and then shot himself in the leg and died. Like, you fucking asshole. I was so angry at him. You're a trained military professional. You should have some level of understanding of gun safety. Yeah, it was – see, I viewed that both unfortunate
0: and, like, having experienced working with military personnel going, ooh, yeah, that did happen, didn't it? Oh, boy. Ugh.
1: And I have a lot of notes that more or less repeat the same thing. Dyke once again showing himself to be goddamn useless. No, not only is Dyke useless, he's kind of an idiot and terrible with people. Because mm. yeah, they would keep coming up to me and be like, how y'all doing? And then he would like walk away. Yeah, in the middle of talking, he's just like, yeah. I did my part of checking in on the troops. Yep. I'm going to leave now. So something I found interesting in this episode, or that dawned on me in this episode, and I think that there's probably some historian that could write an extremely long paper on why we've changed the narrative a little bit and why we use the nomenclature we do today But I found it interesting that they kept calling them Germans, not Nazis. We got to go mm. fight the Germans. We got to take them the Germans. I understand Kraut, right? You know, yeah. it's not that surprising that you'd come up with some mildly derogative term to call your enemy. Yeah. I get it. But it's interesting that they kept, oh, yeah, the Germans, the German advance. They didn't save the Nazi advance, right? And the, I think one of the main reasons I found that interesting, not to relate this to a wildly fantastical non fiction world, or no, purely fiction world, in Captain America, the first movie, the doctor that gives him the super soldier serum the night before, he goes, people often forget. Forget that the first country the Nazis invaded was their own, which is a line that always really stuck with me because we're not going to get into the tenets of "quote I was just doing my job." Whether or not there was, was, or a big enough German resistance within, I don't know enough about it. And that's not this kind of show. But I found that pretty interesting that they kept, oh, the Germans, the Germans, the Germans, the Germans. I would love to maybe read a book or ask someone, like, is that true? Like, is that what they kept calling them? Or did they refer to them more as Nazis? Because I think in hindsight, and certainly on television, we refer to them as Nazis. The Nazi advance, the Nazi tank troop. You know, Erwin Rommel was the Desert Fox of the Nazi tank regiment in Africa and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I just thought Hmm. that was a little bit of an interesting point that dawned on me during this episode. I almost wonder if it was
0: because this was eventually going to make its way to German TV. Mm. And I know that that's actually – you can't say that. Like much in the way that like you can't show boobs on American TV, you can't say that Hmm. on German television. Interesting.
1: Okay. Okay. But yeah, that kind of popped up. (laughs) I also wrote – why is Winters Always fucking shaving I think I've seen This man shave In, in the amount of time Because I think I watched the whole series in, in maybe like Four or five days Right I think I was, I was averaging About two episodes a day And uh-huh. and in those Four five Six days That I watched the show Winters shaved More often than I did He's just always Fucking shaving All the time And at one point This episode in particular His fucking water Is freezing It's literally freezing over He has to break the water With his knife To shave Like Hey, Essel. maybe don't shave today. <laughs> I don't think your men are going to care. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for that.
0: I can explain that like facial hair is generally frowned upon, at least in today's military, but
1: that's purely because of gas masks. Oh, I see. I, I understand. There's a logistics there. Yes.
0: Now, I don't know how much in World War II they're expecting gas warfare to be involved, but because it was so prevalent in World War One. Last thing you want to do is die because you didn't shave.
1: Sure, that's extremely reasonable. But
0: again, I can't cite any source for that one. So someone listening, feel free to call me out if I'm wrong. I know for military standards, there is a facial hair limit. I don't know if Winters was adhering to it at the time, or if that was just like his general fastidiousness. And I didn't think about this. And I love that I'm hearing about this from you because as someone who's not in the military, I had my excuse for it already. It's like, oh, he's shaving because he does, you know, he needs a good seal on his gas mask. Cool. Meanwhile, you're just like, this dude, all he fucking does is lean and shave. <laughs> he's just lean and shaving.
1: He's lean and shaving. He's and leaning shaving. shaving. Leaning he's lean and shave, leaning man. He's shave, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. That, that's something The second I made. I don't have a lot of kind of profound notes in this episode because, frankly, it's one that you just got to watch. It's very mm. literally them in a bombed out wood, trying to hold on to a bombed out wood as it gets bombed out again, and that's yes. it's just holding, and bombing, holding, bombing, man. <laughs> um, so I thought that was a little, a little heavy. There was a lot of like military tactics I didn't quite understand, but we won't, we won't get too much into that right now. A lot of yeah. me rewriting over and over again. Holy fuck, Lieutenant Dyke is so useless. <laughs> Well, again, a lot of the, the
0: the criticisms and like the reviews sort of talk about how this episode was meant to be viewed through the eyes of Sergeant Lipton, the first sergeant. Yes. Because it's viewed through his eyes, he is essentially the company's sort of eyes and ears for Lieutenant Dyke. Yes. Because uh, he's going around, he's talking to everybody almost as much as Lieutenant
1: Dyke is. Lipton is Donnie Wahlberg, Correct. Right? Oh yeah, this is the episode that was actually told from his perspective and he's like writing in his journal and shit, right? Correct, correct. I thought that was a cool choice as well. They almost switched it to like, in a lot of ways, like a Civil War documentary. You know, mm-hmm. you often watch yeah. the Civil War documentaries and you, it's told from the perspective of the letters they're writing. Where it's, dear yeah. Melinda, I find you here on the eve of this great battle for our country and our God. I don't know, like, you know, that's kind of how I always hear it in my head, but I thought this was cool to hear yeah. James look. Lip- not James Lipton, that is... Carwood. James Lipton is inside the actor's studio. Yes, Agreed. <laughs> RIP indeed. That was really cool. It was really cool to see it from his perspective. I thought it was a good directorial choice. Even if you think about it from where it fell in the show, like which episode it fell into, it made a lot of sense. I think that there, mm-hmm. it's very evident how much care went into the writing of each episode and the planning of the show overall. And I think that having this from the perspective of Lipton only exemplifies yes. that. Agreed. And yeah, it's just a lot more notes of holy fuck bombs, bombs, holy shit bombs. Uh, oh my god, his leg! Oh god, the Italian lost uh, his yeah. leg. Uh, holy shit <laughs> bombs! What the fuck is wrong with the Lieutenant Dyke? This asshole needs to be dead. Uh, flash forward, flash forward. Okay, so then they yeah, then they try to storm the town, and sure enough, Dyke fucks it up again. Tells them mm-hmm. to the retreat. Winners is like screaming his head off, like yo, fucking advance! It was crazy. like, And it was just very clear. But one thing I thought was really nice is at the end, we do get to see Donnie Wahlberg get his promotion. We do see him take charge the way we knew he should have. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Uh, I was actually reminded of you a little bit in that uh, in that moment, because he was like surprised he was their leader while doing it the whole time. And like you are so typical of like, no, 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 I'm not a helpful person. All I did was literally bring an entire medics bag to New York and also an entire three gallon jug of water and also 14 phone chargers and also a battery pack and also the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and also 47 books and also 19 podcasts that I've downloaded on four different devices But I'm not that helpful. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I was reminded
0: of you a little bit there. I I will try and keep this to a minimum because, again, this is a fantastic tangent, but we're trying to keep this more of a humorous podcast. I think that I subscribe to the concept of servant leadership. By that, I mean, what does everyone need to succeed? I will supply that for you. That was the kind of leadership. It's just like being in touch with what everybody needed to do their jobs and then providing for that. That was kind of the style that I subscribed to. That was the kind that I led to. I was never a Sobel. I was never like yelling at people and coming down super hard for any infraction. That is a a genuine leadership style. I don't think it's necessarily good for combat. You need a decisive leader who's just like, we need... Need to take this thing. Everybody do that, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. opposed to me, who is just like, "What do you need? I will provide it." As yes. an interesting perspective for you to sort of discuss there. So,
1: yeah, good on you. It was it was pretty interesting. Let's see. So we still have episode eight, episode nine, episode ten to discuss. Let's see. What, what do you what do you think? D Should we break this up into an episode two? Should we make a part two? You know, I've got some pretty heavy notes on nine and ten, but it is a lot of if, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there could be value in doing that, okay? Because we've been at this for a bit. Yeah, so let, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and declare it now. This will be a two-part episode. Our first two-part episode. Uh, we're not mm. going to make this a Band of Brothers rewatch podcast. That's not the goal no. here. But no. I'd like to try to snap it off here because there's yeah. not a lot left, but there's enough. There's at least I got another another half an hour of screaming what the fuck into my microphone. So we will not give an official. Are oh, you're glad you missed this because that'll come in part two, but yes. I appreciate everyone tuning in. If you like what you heard here, we would appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us wherever you get your podcast. If you wanted to reach out to us, you could follow us on Twitter or Instagram at HDWMTPod. You can also email us if you'd like, HDWMTPod at gmail.com. We don't have the TikToks talks because we're not youngins and we don't understand how that works. But at least, like I said, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, shoot us an email. Love to hear from you. Please correct us. We know we said a bunch of dumb, wrong things and we'd like to hear that. Definitely. So until part two, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. Take care, everybody. Take care.